glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's at least three implications of this word becoming flesh for us. Number one, we can know God. Number two, we can change. And number three, we can trust Him. I remember a birthday party at my friend's house. Many of you know I grew up in Ukraine. This must have been my first year of college. It was a birthday party that served chicken wings and red wine. And as you would expect at a Ukrainian birthday party, our conversation turned philosophical very quickly. I was a new Christian eager to witness to my friends, and I knew I had my chance when the name of the 18th century German philosopher Immanuel Kant came up. My friends were, they were rather taken by his philosophy. Kant taught, among other things, that we cannot really know God because he's not in the realm of the senses. There is a massive gap separating God and humanity. Kant thought that we can conclude, we can deduce that God must exist as a moral absolute, otherwise the world doesn't make sense without that. But we can't truly know him. Kant said, the wish to talk to God is absurd. We cannot talk to one we cannot comprehend. And we cannot comprehend God, we can only believe in him. Now, to my friends' ridicule, I disagreed with Kant. All 19 years of me disagreed with the great German philosopher. And I claimed, maybe quite arrogantly at the time, that I knew God. I knew God. I talked to him in prayer. I knew his character. I knew what he said. And I knew how he felt about me and the rest of humanity. Of course, in the eyes of my friends, I was just not sophisticated or educated enough to abandon such nonsense. But I was trusting what I learned from Scripture, and specifically this verse, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, this passage uses the language of senses, of human experience, of communication, this passage, as well as the rest of the Bible, proclaims that God has bridged the Kantian gap, that He entered into our world, the realm of our senses, that God became knowable in Jesus. By becoming human, Scripture tells us, God became accessible to us. Not only do we conclude or deduce or reason that God must exist as a moral absolute, but we are also convinced that he does exist as a real person with whom we can have a relationship. We could never bridge the gap between God and us ourselves, for we cannot become God. But God became human, and we can know him. Even the designation of Jesus as the Word points to his nearness. Now, this term is loaded with all sorts of meanings and implications, but at the very least, it means that God is able and that God wants to 
communicate with us. If He is the Word, if Jesus is the Word, He is the communication of God to us. He speaks to us. He shows God to us. God speaks to us through Jesus. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And we've heard some of those passages read tonight. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is, Jesus is, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the self-expression. He is the self-revelation of God. And for us, followers of Jesus, who is the Word, we, we can say that there's nothing ridiculous, there's nothing absurd about talking to Him. We can confidently say that we know God, that we are in a real relationship with God. Now, of course, we can say it arrogantly, perhaps the way I said it all those years ago at that party. But arrogance has no place in that claim if we remember that we only know God because He has chosen to reveal Himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, we know Him by grace, not by our own effort. He reveals Himself to us. We don't get to Him. He gets to us. There's no basis for boasting or looking down on others if we remember that grace is how He reveals Himself to us. If we remember that and we say, I know God, there's only wonder at His grace. That is the clear declaration of Christmas. God is here. He came into our world. He dwells among us. And we can see His glory. Do you know God? Have you reached beyond the sentiments of Christmas and grasped its revolutionary truth that we can know God? Do you know Him? The second implication of Christmas has to do with change. The Word became flesh. The Word, God, became human. How can we talk about God becoming anything? He's the unchangeable, eternal, perfect God. Any change in God would make Him less than perfect, or it would make Him more than perfect, which would mean that He was less than perfect before He changed. Can God change without ceasing to be God? Well, the answer lies in the mystery of the Incarnation. When God became human in the person of Jesus, He remained fully God, without change. And yet, He also assumed a human nature. Jesus is one person with two natures, divine and human. He's perfectly God, and yet, He's perfectly human. So we can say that God is unchanging. God is perfect. And at the same time, we say that God changed for us. It's a mystery that has prompted many people in church history, many Christians to marvel and write poems and preach sermons. Augustine, for example, 
said the following in a Christmas sermon that he preached in the fourth century. He said, The word of the Father, by whom all time was created, was made flesh and was born in time for us. He, without whose divine permission no day completes its course, wished to have one day set aside for his human birth. In the bosom of his Father, he existed before all the cycles of ages. Born of an earthly mother, he entered upon the course of the years on this day. The maker of man became man that he, ruler of the stars, might be nourished at the breast, that he, the bread, might be hungry, that he, the fountain, might thirst, that he, the light, might sleep, that he, the way, might be wearied by the journey, that he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses, that he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge, that he, justice, might be condemned by the unjust, that he, the teacher, might be scourged with whips, that he, the vine, might be crowned with thorns, that he, the foundation, might be suspended upon a cross, that strength must be weakened, that he who makes well might be wounded, that life might die. To endure these and similar indignities for us, to free us unworthy creatures, He who existed as the Son of God before all ages without a beginning deigned to become the Son of Man in these recent years. He did this, although he who submitted to such great evils for our sake had done no evil, and although we, who were the recipients of so much good at his hands, had done nothing to merit these benefits. Begotten by the Father, he was not made by the Father. He was made man in the mother whom he himself had made so that he might exist here for a while, sprung from her who could never and nowhere have existed except through his power. I should just probably read Augustine's sermons to you and not preach my own. Christmas means that God became human and that he changed for us. Now, of course, some of us have an easier time believing that God can change than we have believing that we can change. I remember going through the attributes of God in family worship with with our kids a few years ago, and that night we were looking at God's immutability, God's unchanging nature, this teaching that God does not change, that He is perfect and trustworthy. Jillian, my wife, asked our daughter Paulina what seemed like a slam-dunk question. Talking about the immutability of God, the question was, who doesn't change Polina's answer was not what we expected. She said, Carl, Carl, he never changes. Same old Carl. (laughs) Now, there's some context to her answer because we had heard about Carl before. Carl was a kid in her class who was known to push other kids as they were waiting for the bus at the end of the day. And apparently no one was able to convince Carl to stop pushing other kids. Hence, Same old Carl, he never changes. (laughs) That raises the question, do you believe people can change? I mean, really change, not just get better at pretending, but really change. And the Bible says yes. The Bible says that we can change. According to the Bible, the Christian life 
begins with a new birth. Greatest of changes, a new birth. Jesus said in John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And a few verses later, he said, That which is born in the flesh is flesh, and that which is born in the spirit is spirit. He's talking about a fundamental change that happens to a person on the level of their nature when they come to Christ. When we come to Jesus at that point of conversion, God the Holy Spirit adds a new nature to us, and we change. It's a fundamental change, a basic change that changes, actually changes who we are at our core. A spiritual nature is added to us. And just as Jesus changed by taking on humanity, we change when we take on a new spiritual nature. The Spirit of God makes us a new creation in Christ. The Bible talks about Christians as being new creation, new creatures in Christ, being remade in God's image, being given a new nature. It's an amazing transformation that then works itself out in the course of the Christian life. When the Bible talks about the life of a Christian, it talks about in terms of growing. There's this organic metaphor of growth, like a tree grows, like a child grows. We grow and we change. Christian life is life of repentance, which means we're constantly adjusting. We're constantly recalibrating and recentering ourselves on Christ. We're being sanctified. We're being made progressively more holy and more like Jesus. That's, that's the picture of a life that Scripture gives us. We can change. And the foundation for that belief and the experience of change is the incarnation of the Son of God. He changed, so you can change. And by the way, nothing is off the table with Jesus. He can ask you to do anything because He has done everything for you. There's never a time when He commands something to you and you come back with, well, that doesn't seem to be fair. You never had to change that much. If God became human, if He suffered and died for us. Is there anything he cannot ask of us? When Jesus tells us to give generously beyond what we think our resources really are, remember that he gave up the right to the whole creation and embraced the poverty of an itinerant teacher. Son of man had no place to lay his head. When Jesus tells you to move to another part of town, to be part of a new church or to another country to be a missionary or to move to another neighborhood to be a gospel presence there, remember that he moved from heaven to a little town of Bethlehem. When Jesus tells you to be patient as you wait to marry and have children, remember that Jesus never married or had children. When Jesus tells you to pray, remember that he went from the one who listened to prayer addressed to him to the one who now prayed. When Jesus tells you to study the Bible, remember that he went from the one who wrote it to the one who had to read and memorize it as a boy. When Jesus tells you to be humble, remember that he gave up his glory and became a servant. When Jesus tells you to depend on him, for all your necessities, remember that he who sustains the world, upholds the world with the word of his power, 
had to depend on his mother to feed and clean and clothe him. Someone said, the Lord has become everything for you, and you must become everything for the Lord. We can and must change. Even Carl, even me, even you, the incarnation of Christ demands that you change. And it makes it possible for you to change. And the question is, has that fundamental change of being born of the Spirit happened to you? Are you growing as a Christian? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Do you live a life of repentance? And finally, our third implication, this third implication of Christmas is that we can trust God. We can trust Him. The word became flesh. Flesh means humanity. God became human. And God stayed human. Jesus is human now, bearing the scars from the crucifixion on his hands and, and his feet. This is how great his commitment is to us. He became human, he suffered and died, he rose again, and then he remained human. God has forever united himself to us. He's not leaving. He's not going to abandon you and check out. He's here, forever united to you and to me. Henry Nouwen said, To us who cry out from the depth of our brokenness for a hand that will touch us, an arm that can embrace us, lips that will kiss us, a word that speaks to us here and now, and a heart that is not afraid of our fears and tremblings. To us who feel our pain as no other human being feels it, has felt it, or will ever feel it, and who are always waiting for someone who dares to come close, to us a man has come who could truly say, I am with you. Jesus Christ, who is God with us, has come to us in the freedom of love, not needing to experience our human condition. God with us, Emmanuel. He's with us in our brokenness. He's with us in our sickness. He's with us in our fears. He's with us in our doubts. He's with us in the darkest times. He's there. In the secret places, He's there. We can trust God because God came to us in Jesus. Jesus is God with us because the Word became flesh. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to light the Christ candle, and then Hannah and her grandma will play a beautiful song for us. And I ask that that time of listening to the music and looking at the candle being lit that that time would be a time of reflection for all of us. Let us consider our lives. Does Christmas really matter? Does the incarnation of Christ really matter? Do you know God? Has He changed you? Do you trust Him? And then after the song is over, Clifton will come and pray for us and for our community to embrace this hope of Christmas to a deeper and deeper degree. So let me pray. 
Our Lord, we are incredibly grateful that Jesus came, that He was born, that He, God, became human like us, that God has forever united Himself to us, that You changed in a, in a mysterious way, remaining God, yet You became human, and You gave us the power to change as well. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. That whatever we're going through, and some of us are going through very difficult things, whether it's broken relationships or financial hardship or cancer, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we would trust you because you went through all of that and more for us. And you're not leaving. Lord, I thank you that Christmas isn't just songs and presents and family time, but there is a, a deeper revolutionary truth in the incarnation of Christ, a truth that can change each one of us. And I pray that each one of us will connect to that truth tonight. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.